are listening to the Heartland Author Podcast. I am Aaron Apollo Camp. For today's episode, I had the opportunity to interview Oksana Kukurdza. Oksana is the author of the soon-to-be-released narrative nonfiction book, Sunflowers Bend But Rarely Break, which is about the atrocities her Ukrainian ancestors faced at the hands of the Nazis and her ancestors' liberation by the United States Army. I'm here with Oksana Kukurtza, who is currently writing a narrative nonfiction book about the horrific experiences her ancestors uh, suffered at the hands of Nazi Germany. Oksana, welcome to the Heartland Author Podcast. Thank you, Aaron. I really appreciate you having me on your podcast and, and giving me a platform and an opportunity to talk to you a little bit about this book that I'm writing. Okay, feel free to introduce yourself to our listeners. Sure, Erin, I'm happy to do that. So my name is Oksana Kukurudza, and I live in New York City. And uh, I'm not an author by trade. I loved writing creatively when I was a child, um, but didn't think that it could be a practical practical way for me to to earn a living. And so I ended up uh, studying business in university and becoming a public accountant and then a management consultant. And I currently work for a company called Accenture. Uh, However, during my time in management consulting, I did have the opportunity to write for a few periodical type articles that were much more business related, as well as a colleague and friend of mine who was writing a couple of anthologies on business and leadership asked me to write a couple of chapters for her books, Going Against the Grain and and Think Think Limitlessly. And while I was writing those chapters, I realized how much I fell back in love with writing. And um, after those anthologies were, um, were produced, uh, the current war in Ukraine uh, started up again. So Russia invaded in February 22nd of, of 2022. And I started to become much more involved in it. And I was really upset by what happened because not only are my parents Ukrainian, but um, also, I had had the opportunity to live in Ukraine for a couple of years for work. And so I started to become much more involved in an advocate. I was going out and protesting and I was paying attention to the news and just seeing, you know, images and, and reading about, you know, six million Ukrainians um, leaving and becoming refugees as they were escaping the war and the invasion. I was reading about Uh, the numbers and numbers of of children that were being kidnapped, Ukrainian children kidnapped and taken to Russia. I was reading about um, people being put through infiltration camps and and all of these things reminded me of my parents' experience having having been duped. They were were living in Ukrainian Poland and then um, the Soviet Union in 1941 and Nazi Germans came and um, through kind of propaganda and posters and advertising duped my parents into coming to Nazi Germany on six-month work visas because they offered them good jobs, good wages, and as soon as they arrived, they took their papers away and they put them into slave camps 
forced labor camps with no no wages, uh, working 12-hour days, and they're based on their experiences as well as being refugees after the war. I could just see so much parallelism and repeating of history from World War II happening today with the with the war in Ukraine. And so I really want to write this book to be able to shine a light and educate Westerners as well as the rest of the world that things happening in Ukraine today happened during World War II and, and we really have to say enough it is enough is enough and let's not do this again. Now, do you have a title for the book that you are currently writing? And uh, without spoiling too much of that book, what will it be about? Sure. So the book is called Sunflowers Bend But Rarely Break. And sunflowers are the Ukrainian national flower. And the reason I decided on that title is I feel very much like not only Ukrainians, but also my parents and their story you'll find that sunflowers bend towards the light in the darkest of days, but they don't break. And the, the story is really about resiliency. It's about how my parents, you know, were duped. So, you know, they thought they were moving to Nazi Germany for a better life. And yet they were stuck for three, four years in these slave camps working 12 hour days for meager food, meager living, but they never lost hope. And they both went out of their way to ensure that they were liberated by the US Army. And they fought hard to become refugees and not forced to, um, forced to, to go back to what would have been Soviet Ukraine or communist Ukraine after the war. And they fought hard to, to find a country to take them in and, and make their home, the United States. And, and that's what this book is about. It's about hope and resilience. Now, uh, do you plan to uh, self-publish your book or do you plan to have the book traditionally published? I would prefer to have it traditionally published. Uh, so I've written a first draft right now and I'm in the process of making some edits to it and improving it as well as I'm, you know, looking for for agents as well as, as publishers, traditional publishers to take this project on. Now, do you have a time frame in mind for when you when your book will be released or is that still very much uh, in the air? It's a little bit in the air. If I choose to self-publish, then it will be ready much sooner because the traditional publishing route can take much longer. And so if I do self-publish, I'm, I'm confident that I'll be ready to release it early next year. Um, if I do go through a traditional publisher, it, it may be longer than that. However, I am in the works with a, with a media company to potentially look for uh, visual uh, representations of this work as well as I'm looking to have it published. Now, how difficult is it to write narrative nonfiction compared to writing fiction or non-narrative forms of nonfiction? <laughs> um, so what is, I guess what's nice about narrative nonfiction 
is that I can take my parents' story and, you know, they, they have a compelling story to start with and I have a, an outline, right? An outline of their life, an outline of their experiences. And then it's trying to fill in the blanks. So, so the easy part is the story's there, the outline's there. The hard part of it is, as you can imagine, right, Erin, our parents don't tell us everything. <laughs> You know, they, they tell us the things they want us to know. And so I've had to piece things together by talking to relatives, talking to um, my siblings, but there are still blank pieces, you know, of the, you know, of their timeline. And so I'm having to fill it in as best I can based on the people that they became or, or how I think they are. I think with something that's fiction, you're starting with a blank slate of paper. And so it could be harder if you don't have a good story in mind, but it could be a lot easier if you do have a good story in mind because you don't have the constraints of writing about a person's life that exists, right? And trying to be true to a real human being, you know, as opposed to a, a fictional character. Now, uh uh, you touched on this a little bit earlier, but what parallelisms are there between the horrific experiences that Ukrainians had to endure during and immediately after the Second World War and what Ukrainians are currently experiencing at the hands of Russian invaders today? Sure. So there's, um, there's definitely a few uh, parallels. So one is back during World War II, 12 million Eastern Europeans, um, and not, they weren't necessarily all Ukrainians, I don't have the exact number of Ukrainians, but millions of Ukrainians were either enticed to come to Nazi Germany to work as slaves, or they were kidnapped to work in Nazi Germany as slaves. Today in Ukraine, we've been hearing that um, Ukrainians in parts of occupied Ukraine are being taken away by Russians if they think for a moment that they aren't 100% supportive of Putin's regime and put through filtration camps and potentially reprogramming camps. So you have the same camp experience that happened in World War II that the Nazis are doing with what's happening, you know, with what the Russians are doing to the Ukrainians and the occupied territories. So that's one parallelism. The second is after World War II, you had these 12 plus million, 15, 20 million people that were all displaced throughout, throughout Europe after the war. Um, and today you have about six million Ukrainians that have had to leave Ukraine and move to another country, you know, either within Europe, US, Australia, Canada, and are displaced persons. So that's a second, you know, clear parallelism. The third one that my parents didn't necessarily experience, but existed as well, was the, that the Nazis were known to kidnap children that were, you know, blonde and fair-haired and try to make them German. We're hearing stories now 
and even Russia is claiming they have something like 700,000 Ukrainian children that they've kidnapped and are keeping in camps or with Russian families in occupied Ukraine or in Russia to reprogram them to become Russian. So those are, to me, some of the main parallelisms that I'm seeing from the experience my parents went through during World War II and what's happening to the Ukrainian people today by Russia. Now, during the mid-1990s, and this was not long after Ukraine won its independence from the failed Soviet Union, you spent a year and a half in Ukraine, and what was your work during that time like? Sure. So I, I arrived in the middle of winter <laughs> in January of 1996. So I experienced uh, what a really tough kind of Ukrainian-Russian winter can look can look like. And I arrived to work at Deloitte and Touche, a public a public accounting um, firm, and um, that was that operates globally and was was operating in Kiev, Ukraine. And a lot of the work that we were doing is we were helping. Ukrainian companies obtain investment from either the you know, International Monetary Fund, World Bank, or the European Bank of Reconstruction and Development. And these companies were very antiquated. Um, they operated still in a Soviet environment, even though Ukraine was independent. And so they did their accounting in a very different way than how we would do it in the West. So what we did was went into these companies and helped them redo their accounting books so that a Westerner could un really understand their books of records and understand you know, if they were making any net income, what kind of assets and liabilities that they had. Uh, some of the you know, interesting experiences that I had was just you know, seeing you know, how companies operated um, in the Soviet Union because many of these companies still operated the same way and they desperately needed um, investment from from western companies because their equipment was antiquated their means and operations were very antiquated and they weren't making any money Aaron. i mean i remember showing up to a shoe factory and that needed some foreign investment and the workers would laugh and say you know we pretend to work and they pretend to pay us which was apparently a slogan during the soviet union as well and they would show up to work at this factory. No, they couldn't sell the shoes. So the company would give them shoes at the end of the week as their salary. And then they would have to go out and sell these shoes um, in the local markets of their town to be able to, you know, to have, you know, to buy food to eat. That was a little bit of the situation uh, that was happening in Ukraine at the time. And so you had, you know, you had a lot of people impoverished, especially the very old um, who who didn't have a pension anymore. They had they'd lost their safety net. But then you also had this very vigorous, um, opportunistic and excited group of young people that I worked with who were extremely excited to work with Western companies and to see Western companies come in and you know, see the opportunity of, of learning from them and, and, and growing in their careers. 
Yeah, that antidote about people having to sell shoes to make a living uh, being the business model of a company would simply not fly in the Western world. No, it wouldn't. And, and honestly, it wasn't. I don't believe that's how the Soviet Union operated. Ukraine was in this tricky situation in the mid 90s where it was it was no longer a socialist country, right? It was now a democracy. It was now a capitalist country, but yet its society, the people, the companies hadn't evolved and changed enough to be able to operate successfully in capitalism because they didn't have products that the local Ukrainians wanted or that the rest of the world wanted to export. So these shoes that they were making, they were very antiquated. They, they, they weren't things that people would want to buy and, and wear. Um, you know, what, they weren't fashionable. So what they really needed to do was they needed the investment from Western and foreign companies to put in new equipment so that they could and, and help them buy raw materials to produce shoes that people would want that they could then export or sell locally. So they were in that tough transition process. Now, uh, one final question I have, uh, what was it like for you to grow up in a family with 11 siblings? It was a lot of fun. So, <laughs> so well, it was highly competitive because my, my parents were immigrants and they were, you know, the, the working class, you know, worked with their hands. My father was a butcher. Um, my mother uh, worked at a uh, local department store at, at, at night cleaning, um, uh, cleaning the, the, the department store at night. And so there wasn't a lot of, you know, there wasn't a lot of food and there weren't a lot of material goods in the house. So, you know, there, there, there was definitely competition in our family with, with each of us, especially, you know, being such a large family. But there was also a lot of love and a lot of fun. I mean, you didn't need to have a lot of friends, Aaron, because you could play with your older brothers and sisters. <laughs> yeah, I grew up uh, in a family... Uh, where I only had one sibling, and not long after he was born, he enlisted in the U.S. Army because he was 19 and a half years older than me. Ah, so mm -hmm. I was lived more like an only child than someone who actually, uh, than, than a typical person who has one or more siblings. And my older brother's the same way. Uh, he uh, enlisted in the Army for he enlisted in the armed forces not long after I was born. So, uh, he was raised more like an only child than someone with uh, a younger sibling would normally be raised because of the age difference. Yeah, absolutely. So I had, I had a little bit of that. My sister closest to me in age was, she's eight years, she's eight years older than I am. And so we, but we still had them in the house, right? Because they were, um, you know, they were teenagers as I was, as I was growing up. And so I, I always say that I had the fun of having um, not only my own mother, 
but I had five sisters that were like my my other mothers. <laughs> so I had six <laughs> mothers growing up. And let me tell you, I had the shortest leash you could ever imagine. <laughs> well, Oksana, you are a very interesting person to interview. And I thank you for appearing on the Heartland Author Podcast. Well, thank you so much, Erin. I really appreciate you having me here. And um, if you wouldn't mind, I, I did create a landing page. Would you mind if I tell the readers, your listeners, uh, the, the reading page for the landing page for the book? Go ahead and do that. Now include a link in the text description of the episode once it's uh, uploaded. Okay, perfect. It's www sunflowersrarelybreak.com and again Aaron thank you so much for having me and hopefully I can come back again sometime you're welcome all right thank you Oksana was a wonderful guest with an interesting life story and I wish her well with the release of her upcoming book this is Aaron Apollo Camp reminding y'all to write your imagination bye for now You can learn more about me and my book writing projects at camparenapollo.witsite.com forward slash author AAC. You can follow me on Twitter and Facebook at author AAC and on Instagram at AAC Scribe. Copyright 2023, Aaron Apollo Camp, all rights reserved. This podcast episode is intended for the private listening of our audience. Any reuse or retransmission of this podcast episode without the express written consent of the podcast host is prohibited, except under fair use guidelines. Royalty-free music and sound effects obtained from https colon forward slash forward slash www.zapsplat.com.